Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. After 10 months, 380 games and 1,052 goals in an incredible season, Manchester City have been crowned champions. I just try to play in the way I think this team must play because I like that style of play. I think that was a season that enjoy all of us. Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool ponder what might have been. It's been an incredible campaign, 38 real competitive tough games in the most competitive league in football and they're the champions, so congratulations to them. Meanwhile, Roberto Martinez has given Everton a season to remember. Over the 10 months, we've seen a team developing, evolving, so you can imagine that we're all very excited about next season. And it was a season where miracles did happen, for Gus Poet at least. Incredible, uh, unique. I said it a long time ago when we were losing, we're going to fight to the end. This is the Barclays Premier League 2013-14 season review. Welcome to the final Barclays Premier League podcast of the season where we'll be looking back at what has been a quite incredible 10 months of football. I'm Marcus Buckland. On the show, we'll analyse where the title was won and lost. We'll speak to the man who handed Vincent Company the Barclays Premier League trophy. Roberto Martinez joins us to reflect on Everton's best points tally for 27 years. Southampton legend Matt Letizier tells us about his love for the Saints fans. We'll also hear from Jose Mourinho, Ryan Giggs and Tim Sherwood. And we'll be conducting our very own end-of-season awards. To dissect all the action, I'm joined by two fabulous guests. First up, the former Crystal Palace and Queen's Park Rangers manager Ian Dowie and the former Everton and Wigan defender Matt Jackson. Hello, guys. Hello. Morning, Marcus. Now, before we go into the details of the final day, sum up the season in three words, Ian. Not easy. Exhilarating. Unpredictable. Predictable. Interesting. Matt? I've gone for to the end because there were so many decisive moments right to the end and a Barclays Premier League season should encapsulate everything that we've seen this season. It certainly didn't disappoint, did it? No twist in the end on the final day with Manchester City winning the title by two points ahead of Liverpool. Would it be fair to say, though, that it has been one of the most unpredictable seasons in years, perhaps in the history of the Barclays Premier League? Yeah, I think it has. I think there's a, a new genre of more attacking, more open, expansive players come into the division. I mean, there's no doubt, I think in terms of football, it's great that Man City have won it because of the style they play. They do play with a swagger. And a lot of sides do, even right to last Sunderland, who'd have thought that, that run of games, they get seven points from the three top sides. Mm. Quite incredible. Yeah, a number of extraordinary stories. Throughout the season, we've also been looking for the best moments of sportsmanship as part of our hashtag YouArFootball campaign. Anything stand out in particular on the last weekend of the season? Well, I'm not necessarily sure the last weekend, but certainly from the season, you know, as joyous and as fantastic as occasion it is, we also remember the, the poignancy of the Hillsborough uh, memorials and the services that go along with that. And I think the way that football embraced that to join Liverpool in the way that they remembered that horrible situation was real great credit to everyone involved. Absolutely. Well, lots to come on the show. There is only one place to start, and, and that's the race for the Barclays Premier League title. The top four of Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal have all levered table at various stages this season but the sky blue half of Manchester won the league in the end by two points from Liverpool after that 2-0 final day victory at home to West Ham. Goals from Samir Nasri and captain Vincent Company ensured there wouldn't
wouldn't be any last-minute dramas here, and you've already mentioned the style in which they play is good for football. So I'm guessing you feel they were very worthy winners in no, the I end. I do think they were very worthy winners. And that's why I, why I said about predictable, because if you looked at the squad at the start of the year, you thought they could win it by a, a street. And my view is I think the manager deserves a huge amount of credit. You come into this Barclays Premier League, it's very difficult to understand the intensity of the games. The unpredictable nature doesn't happen in any other league in the world. And also, he has his first six away games. He only wins one and loses four of them. All of a sudden now, he's found a different way to play away from home. And I think key moments is late in the season, his big players came onto their game, Touré. Company come back much more the form he should be. And Zeko was, people don't seem to rate him, but I mean, he's, he's, he's an incredibly important part of how why they've won the title. Yeah, he scored a lot of key goals, um, uh, key times. Which other players stood out for you, Matt, for City? In a way, they struggled for players that didn't play. Aguero hasn't had the same impact. He's been fantastic at the end, but hasn't had the same impact. Company misses games. Torre misses games. Silva misses games. You can't have a squad that has so many key players that miss so many games. Fantastic for them then that they go and win that title. But I think that shows what a collective team effort it is and basically reiterates the points that Ian's just made. Two who've done quietly well, very well this year, is Joe Hart. You think about the saves he made at Everton. Your best keepers in the world make saves when you don't expect them. The last one from Naismith, not really a save you expect him to make. He makes it. And as a result, they go on to win the title. Yeah. And then you have a Zabaleta in the mix as well, yeah. someone like that, yeah, who absolutely. every single week seems to play, turn yeah. up, seven, eight out of ten, moves yeah. on, doesn't take any plaudits, doesn't take any headlines, but he's just there as a constant throughout the season for yeah. yeah, a whole load of heroes for City. Uh, for Manuel Pellegrini, his first European league title in his first season in England, and he is now targeting an era of dominance. I think that this club is working very well in the last four years. It was uh, maybe a, a big team uh, with fans, but it was not uh, a team that can um, fight for the title. I think that in the last four years, this is changing. The owners that works in a very humble way and the directors are trying to improve every year this, this club. We're trying to continue improving, uh, improving in all sense. And in the future, of course, we will try to, to continue winning titles comes across as such a likeable man. It's going to be interesting, though, to see how they kick on, of course, when they won the league a couple of years ago under Roberto Mancini. It, it didn't quite happen thereafter. So presumably, Ian, they've got one or two lessons that they can learn from what happened two years back. Yeah, and I actually think the players have got a lot to learn. I mean, everyone roundly criticised Mancini. I think, you know, is no doubt he, he set the club on on the on a very very strong line. He was a much more disciplinarian manager. This fellow's very relaxed. But the players, I thought, took their off the ball. You couldn't have compared Yaya Toure first season to his second season. Just didn't look the same player. Same as company. You know they'll learn now. There's a, a level of consistency. What do they need? Not a lot, I suggest. You know they may need you know maybe a left back, maybe a, another centre back. Who else? I mean, um, you can't go and get another Yaya Toure. There's not another one of them in the world. I just do think they'll probably. Sounds bizarre. They may try and get another centre forward. I mean, that's that's where they're looking. You you wouldn't have thought they needed with Negredo and Zeko, but there's clearly he's not quite sure. So I think they'll be the areas where we'll tinker at. I think the other issue that they have is, like many clubs with the top players, they all go off to a World Cup and you have no idea the state that they come back in. Some will pick up injuries out there, which can put all your planning behind from that point of view. And the fatigue levels from pretty much playing constantly for a couple of years is really tough ask on those players as well. Well, it was fitting that Captain Company scored City's final goal of the season, their 102nd in total, and the Belgian couldn't contain his delight after being crowned champions. It's unbelievable, and uh, I'm so happy. You know what? I think this team has got more than just talent. You know, it's got a real soul and a, and a heart to it. 
and incredibly happy for this team to have success like this. As a kid, you, you grow up as a six-year-old and all you dream of is playing games, winning games and, and lifting trophies. That's what I've dreamed of. Uh, not the rest. I've dreamed of lifting trophies. And I feel like I'm achieving that dream when I'm doing this. Well, we can speak now to the man who handed over the Barclays Premier League Trophy 2 company on the Etihad pitch. Manchester community hero Paul Kelly oversees all aspects of City's disability sports programme and he's the first ever non-executive to present the title. Hello, Paul. Hello, are you OK? Yeah. What an experience that must have been. Oh, it was amazing. It was a dream day um, for myself, my family and for City and the Community Foundation, which I work for. I was so nervous. Um, I, I had to get out of my seat at half time and just go and just sit, go in one of the corridors and just focus myself. It was starting to become reality when we'd scored and I'd seen on the scoreboard that Liverpool was still getting beat. So I just had to sort of get myself focused a little bit. Did you have a chance to talk to the players immediately afterwards? Yes, they were. Oh, they were just joyous. Um, they were just grabbing everybody. Everyone he did, and they sort of grabbed, shook, congratulated, shake their hands. Anybody and everybody, stewards, fans, everybody. They just got everyone engaged. Yeah, fascinating, fantastic afternoon for you all. Tell us a bit about the city and the community foundation and what it does for people in and around Manchester. Paul. City and the Community Foundation is a charity organisation supported by the club and um, we run five different themes, education, health, football, disability and cohesion, keeping kids off the street and um, we all have different various programmes. Uh, Mind disability, in the, over the past three years we've um, delivered to over 20,000 disabled people in Greater Manchester. And it's of course a side uh, of the club that people don't know too much about. I guess most people hear the name Manchester City, think about the money that's been spent on the players, but there's obviously so much more that goes on in the community. Oh, it's amazing. All the staff who work at the foundation have all started as volunteers and then become casual coaches and then gained full-time employment through the foundation. And we employ disabled people as part of the programme and we're setting up a disabled employment programme. And it's not only football, we deliver tennis, rugby, athletics and netball as part of my disability programme. Fantastic work and, and we wish you the very best of luck with that. Uh, in terms of the team, obviously two Barclays Premier League titles in just over three years. You'll perhaps be the first to admit that you didn't quite build on that first title success. So um, how do you see the team going forward from here, Paul? I think it can only get stronger. I think like with Man United, you started getting experience and getting getting that winning mentality and I think that that's going to breed into the club and the players especially. You know, you've got to win things and then you get the experience, big game players and I think we've got them in place now. Well, the future does look bright. Uh, many congratulations and, and thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much for this. Brilliant. That's uh, Paul Kelly, Manchester City's community hero, who presented the Barclays Premier League trophy uh, to Vincent Company after the game. Ian, obviously, uh, we heard what they're doing behind the scenes there. It's so easy to forget all the, all the good things that um, so many of these clubs are doing all the time. It's very easy to overlook exactly what Man City are involved in. You look at the area they've bought to develop. It's going to be is, is a really quite run-down area and the regeneration they're creating and the money they're spending in the infrastructure. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, the work that Paul's doing is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, Matt, you're nodding your head as well. It's, uh, it's something that you can appreciate as well, isn't it? Often footballers sometimes get a bit of a bad press, but actually the efforts that they put in on behalf of the clubs to go and, and do these visits very few of 
who match. You get documentation for it, and it's all part of uh, the other side of footballers' lifestyle, but certainly in the uh, high-profile areas that they're in at the moment, for them to give those back into the community schemes. It's an incredible amount of days and hours that are actually put in by the players into those uh, great community schemes. Yeah, great times for Manchester City in every regard, timing their run perfectly to lift their second title in three years. But the lead at the top of the table changed hands 25 times throughout the season. Arsenal spent 128 days in top spot more than any other side and doubled that of Chelsea. Liverpool led for 59 days and with three games to go, of course, the destiny of the title was in their own hands. Let's hear from manager Brendan Rodgers. He spoke after the final day victory over Newcastle about giving the fans hope. It's been a, a wonderful campaign, a lot of growth and development. It's been incredible to see the supporters, you know, to see the power of the club, the, the institution that's Liverpool. And I think we've made them dream and that's our job to do that. And the great thing about us is we will, we will improve. We will get better next season. Young group, add more players and, as I said, we'll be ready to fight again. But now we've got the belief. Brendan Rodgers, who's been named the LMA Manager of the Year. Matt, when it comes to summing up Liverpool's season, it's quite difficult, I suppose, because obviously at the beginning of the campaign, a top four spot would have been welcomed. And yet when you're so close to actually winning the title, inevitably there's a, a slight sense of anti-climax. I remember doing a podcast early in the season and we're talking about title challenges and Arsenal were top at the time. And the discussion was that Arsenal probably wouldn't have enough to win the title at that point and Liverpool never got a mention so for them to have come as close as they did it is remarkable fantastic progress for them a great job that they've done I think it will hurt them really badly that they didn't win it because they may never get a better chance to win it in the way that the Barclays Premier League is structured this year but also I think that Brendan Rodgers there talking about the fact that they will get better and they will improve I think they're going to find it hard next year because people will learn how to play against them everyone mm. knows the quality they have going forward yes they've been vulnerable at the back at times but the best teams continually work out what the opposition are doing I heard Alan Hansen a few days ago Ian saying ultimately you've got to sum up their season as a failure because they didn't take their chance in the no. final couple of weeks is that being a bit hard? I couldn't disagree more. I think it's been an unmitigated success. Of course, he's blessed with special things. Uh, managers come in, sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. He's come in and he's inherited arguably the best centre forward in, in the world at the moment. You know? and, and, and also, to be fair to Brendan, why I think it's a big success, he's changed hugely this year. This is no longer the Brendan that talks about possession, dominating it. Don't forget, they played Everton at home. Everton had 67% of the ball and lost 4-0. He plays forward a lot earlier. That, that Steven Gerrard into the front man ball is all he believes in. Counter-attack's a huge part of their game. And it's not about philosophy, it's about winning games. And I think that's where he's changed and developed. You know, and, and the development of the young lads, Henderson, Sterling, Flanagan, has been quite outstanding. But I think the only thing you'll look at is you can't concede 50 goals and win a title. Sadly, one of the enduring images of the season is going to be that slip by Steven Gerrard of all players at such a crucial stage against Chelsea. Yes, and one that has had an unbelievable effect on certainly ex-professionals and people that know him well. For a professional like that, A, not to have won a Barclays Premier League title, but also to have made a mistake like that when he drives his team on so relentlessly, that is a real shame. And just for him alone, I, I would actually have liked him to see them win that championship. Yeah. I just think I think also it's incredibly harsh to, to focus on that moment when I look at the movement of Martin Skirtle at Palace when they're 3-2 down, for him to try and nick a ball into the chest of Glenn Murray rather than just stay at home and defend. But I think that's going to be the nature of the side. Well, whoever comes in to Liverpool, they're not going to find it easy because he does like to commit lots of bodies forward. And as a result, it's not easy to defend. I like to defend with a six. He generally he defends with probably a four 
sometimes. Yeah, when you've got people running it, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, it certainly made them great to watch. Only the third team in Barclays Premier League history to score more than 100 goals. Uh, Luis Suarez uh, with the Barclays Golden Boot with 31 Player of the Year as well, of course. Uh, London clubs Chelsea and Arsenal made up the top four, finishing third and fourth respectively. We'll hear from Arsene Wenger in a moment, who said his Arsenal side were unlucky to finish in fourth place. First, though, here's Jose Mourinho, who believes there is something to build on at the bridge. I'm pleased with many things. And I'm pleased fundamentally because we have a, a certain base in many aspects, a certain base to start the next season. And when I refer to the base, the base is not just about the players or the tactical system. It's also about the team ethic, the way we work, the way we behave, the way uh, the team trains every day. So I'm, I'm really happy because we have a base and we can start next season with a different approach. It's the first time, I think, in the history of the Premier League that you finish fourth with 79 points. And uh, it was very tight. I believe that uh, Liverpool can be frustrated, we can be frustrated, Chelsea can be frustrated, because only one team can win it. But at the top, the number of points made by all the four teams is uh, top quality. Some good points from Arsene. Let's start with Chelsea, though. Matt Mourinho said all along, Chelsea are the little horse in the title race. He was proved right, wasn't he? Well, he was proved right. I'm sure he didn't want to be, and I'm sure the rhetoric that at times came out was to protect his players and obviously to limit those expectations, but Chelsea should always be looking to win that title. They have that financial backing that allows them to be successful. He's an absolutely fantastic manager. I think that's that's taken as read, but I think the frustration that Chelsea fans and other people in football will now have is that he seems to continually want to prove that I can go away to Liverpool and win games that are different and his record against those top teams has been absolutely immense but you can't then allow your team to slip up against the so-called smaller teams that's just not acceptable and that's not good management When he gets a goal scorer which obviously he's going to look and do in the summer is that going to change everything if, if Diego Costa comes in, Ian? Diego Costa brings everything that Chelsea haven't got a focal point to the attack that allows you to, the team to be further up the pitch if people defend in numbers he's one of them who can break them down because he's very powerful in the air say so in the semi-final against Chelsea some of his displays were, were magnificent so I think it's a magnificent piece of business but the squad he's got and you think about you know Matic next year I, I think they'll, they'll go very very close next year the one thing they will have to do is have that centre forward that comes in play a lot of games for them. That's mm. the issue. We talk about a Manchester City and the strength and depth that they have. Chelsea haven't got that, so it might not be the striker. It's the strikers that they need to bring Lukaku. in. Lukaku. <laughs> uh, and with regard to Arsenal, um, just looking at their last game of the season at Norwich, Aaron Ramsey scored a, an absolute screamer. His 10th goal of, of what was obviously a, an injury-ravaged campaign. Now, if he'd stayed fit throughout, would it have been a very different story for the Gunners? I think that becomes an irrelevance, really. I think... People look at injuries as being an unlucky part of the game. I think squad management now is so important that if you're picking up injuries and key injuries time and time again, there may be something else that's an issue. And the fact that Arsenal ultimately have finished comfortably in fourth place, but for a long time looked like they may have really struggled, having been top for so long. Something's still not quite right with that sort of balance. And the fact that they have an Ozil who's an outstanding player, but drifts in and out for the season, that shows a game where their squad depth is actually at. I understand where Matt's coming from, but you know, Arsene Wenger's a manager who changed dug up four pitches to have them redone because they were too firm, causing calf injuries. He's very much at the cutting edge of that. He'll be at a loss to explain why these injuries come, but he'll be looking to investigate them. If you take Suarez, Sterling, Henderson out of the team for Liverpool, well, that's effectively what you've done. Wiltshire, Walcott, Ozil and Ramsey. 
who else can cope with that? I think mm. in the end, to answer your question, if, if Ramsey stays fit, they go a lot closer than they are now, for sure. I mean, him and those are at a different level. And there's key parts of the side that need improving for me. Yeah, they've got to find a mobile holding midfield player. He has to do that. You know, maybe even two. You know, because that allows the platform and much more pay. They need a pacey forward. So Arsene Wenger can look back and probably reflect that he should have maybe operated in the market a bit better than he did. Well, in the end, Arsenal finished seven points short of the leaders. Manchester City with 86 points, Liverpool 84, Chelsea 82 and Arsenal in fourth on 79. Coming up, we hear from Gus Poyet on Sunderland's Miracle Escape. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland. Let's continue our review of the season at the other end of the table with Cardiff, Norwich and Fulham, the three teams to be relegated to the Championship. The fate of those three was all but decided before the final day. Norwich could have stayed up with a 17-goal turnaround. Surprisingly, that didn't happen. But we'll start with a side who somehow managed to escape the drop despite being six points from safety with just six games to play. Sunderland ended up in 14th, five points clear of the bottom three. But manager Gus Poyet says it wasn't an easy easy start to life in the northeast you know it was difficult to connect with the fans because of the way we play most you know we are not going to blame them because we were not given enough quality but slowly we started getting better and that connection grew up, uh, you know in a, in a very good way and at the end we finished even losing in a, in a in a party day which is it's important for us it's important for the players you know we can we can thank the fans for, for how long they've been supporting us and how hard it's been for them as well they looked down and out, didn't they? And, and in the end, the final game was an irrelevance. Lost 3-1 at home, of course, to Swansea. But four wins in a row, victories against Chelsea and Manchester United. It, did anyone see that coming, No, Ian? You couldn't have predicted it. The, you, you go, don't forget, you go away to Chelsea, Man United and Man City. Quite incredible. And get results that they did. The way in which they were defending, you didn't see it happening. And you probably didn't think Conor Wickham was coming and have the impact. But there was a little bit of underestimation for some of the sides for me. But, but other than that, Gus Poyer's side found the spirit and a, an ability to get them results. That all, long live as one of the... You know, you, you go there and get seven points from them three games. That's kept him up. You know, mm. they, were, they were dead and buried. So I didn't ever see it. I just think... Recruitment's very important for Gus in the summer. I think that's where this discussion's going. I know he's got a clause I think he can get out if he has to, but you know, he needs control over it. He brought in Virginia, and I think uh, in the January window, he's going to take time to settle in. He's done a bit better of late. Yeah, well, he's got work to do, but it helps when, when your strikers start scoring. Baruni, of course, four in his last five Barclays Premier League appearances, and you, and you mentioned Conor Wickham, three in five. Fantastic uh, escape at by Sunderland. Another team who looked doomed in the first half of the campaign were Crystal Palace. When Ian Holloway left the club in October, they were five points adrift of safety at the bottom of the table but new boss Tony Pulis managed to collect an amazing 17 points from their last eight games to give them an 11th place finish you know the club is is a smashing club it's got fantastic support and it's got fantastic potential but you know it's it's a way behind you know what it should be but that was the same situation at Stoke I had a magnificent chairman there in Peter Coach who backed me and allowed me to build a football club over seven eight years and that's what you want. You need, you know, put a back in and, and let people let you do your job. You know, I think, you know, you get paid to do your job. And I enjoy doing this job. Well, Pulis was uh, named Barclays Premier League Manager of the Year and few people will uh, disagree with that decision. And you mentioned the spectators, in, and you know the Palace fans. They have been remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Incredible. Amazing what a group of fans can do. I mean, I've played under some fantastic nights and managed under some fantastic nights there. But it seems every single 
game this season. They were, the, the noise, the atmosphere, which, you know, the Homesdale Road in, quite incredible, the noise they created. And it makes a huge difference, particularly for a side that's just burgeoning. And you know what? This will become almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. They'll be the same next year mm. because everyone's expecting that. And, uh, you know, they turn up and it's a party atmosphere and, you know, they've got a manager who's come in and done absolutely magnificently well. I mean, and also, I think his, his stock in the game has gone up because not only has he organised them defensively, he's allowed people to express themselves in a counter-attacking style with great effect. I mean, Balassi and Punchin have been brilliant in terms of how they've done. Really aidly abetted by Jedinak, who's been Jedinak and Ward for me. They've been the sort of glue that's kept the side together. Yeah, Matt, it's a significant point. Of course, Peters has never been relegated as a manager, which is remarkable in itself. And as Ian said there, he, he's proved that he can adapt as and when necessary. I think it's a great credit to him that he's gone in and dealt with those resources superbly well. His problem is finishing 11th in the Barclays Premier League this season looks like a fantastic success. It doesn't really tell the story of exactly what he's done. Next season, it gets tougher again. He has to start it all from scratch. You'd say that with a start he was given this year, well... You know, if he gets those games back, they're going to soar on. It's not going to be that way. It's going to be tougher again and they're going to have to grind it out. And that's where his experience yeah. that he had at Stoke will be so key. I think Tony's biggest thing, of course Dwight Gale finished well, is he's getting an absolute top draw centre forward. I think that that's what they need. They've got, I think the other bits he can certainly deal with is getting that man who can do a bit of both, physically enough. You know, someone like a Wilfred Boney, although they're not that sort of player, I think they could have a very good season. But if they don't, I think Matt's right, it might be difficult. Yeah, easier said than done, of course, to find a player like that. Cardiff, Fulham and Norwich, the three sides to go down. Let's hear from all three managers after what was obviously a very difficult season. Neil Adams, Felix Magat, and first Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. As we've seen, there's been very, very uh, small margins in games that we should have took the lead and we've gone behind. We've let ourselves down in the when we've chased games. We've not had the quality uh, in that respect, but the spirit is here, foundation is to, to build on. And then we, when we get a pre-season uh, together, we'll be ready for next season. We have to analyse and sure, we have to change uh, some players. Here at Fulham, we want to be a team which goes forward, yeah, which plays offensive and that will be the style that we will use next season and we will come back in the Premier League. It's hard to take, you know, there's players in there that it means a lot to them. Performances over the season have got, haven't been good enough, simple as that. That's why we're in the position we're in. But uh, yeah, disappointed, obviously, goes without saying. Well, the following stats uh, highlight why those three sides struggled so much. Cardiff uh, won the fewest points in the Barclays Premier League in 2014. Fulham used 39 players more than any other team in any other Barclays Premier League season. And Norwich scored just 28 goals. And only three teams in Barclays Premier League history have scored fewer. Were they the three worst teams did they deserve to go down Matt yes they did that table doesn't lie at the end of a season once you start having off field stories dominating your club you're in a real difficult place mm. and of course in all three teams changed their manager in Fulham's case more than once and, and that's probably something that club chairman might want to remind themselves of come the midway point of next season a but change is not necessarily as good as a rest is it no I mean has any of the changes brought about something better not for me I mean uh, and Martin Yole played in a certain style. Um, they bring in Relly Moodestein at Fulham, and then they change him and, and go with Felix McGat, who obviously is a very good manager. I mean, he's, he's, he's got a proven track record. And just an ageing team. Just an ageing team, you know. No, no real legs in the side. and It's something you can't get away from. They, and they couldn't defend. I mean, I watched them defend this year. 85 goals. Come on, it's, mm. it's impossible. So defensively, they had problems all year. And no criticism of Neil Adams. He's, I mean, he's, he's done the best job he didn't. But even, even the last game, I was at the game live. They, they didn't have a go. Arsenal cruised the game. Mm -hmm. Could have won by five. Mm. A quick word about West Brom. Within 24 hours of their final match, which ended in a 2-1 home defeat to Stoke, they 
parted company with Pepe Mel. He'd only been in charge for four months, of course. Took over from Steve Clark in January. Uh, West Brom, just three league wins under his management. They finished eighth last season. Was it inevitable that um, he would pay the price immediately? Yes, I think because he didn't have the support of senior players, didn't really have a relationship seemingly with the owner and... I think for any coach stroke manager going into that club, that's a big part of what you have to contend with. They have a structure that's been fantastically worked over the years, overseen by Dan Ashworth, who's now gone to the FA, left at the start of the season, and the whole thing becomes very difficult for them from there, and that will be a big part of it. They have to get that appointment right, and they have to really decide that they think the dynamic of the way that they structure their football club actually works practically and Ian as a manager will know that more than it's a fantastic point he makes because Dan Ashworth was a football person understood it they've got some good young players and I do think it's a bit an underachieving season for for West Brom yeah well at least they live to fight another day Uh, coming up we'll speak exclusively to Roberto Martinez but before that it's our end of season awards and let's start with goal of the season Ian Ramsey's goal at Norwich was magnificent, but I'm probably going to go with Yaya Toure's against the Villa game. Just sums up everything he's about. He's an unstoppable force. There's no one in the world like him. I've gone for one that I think will actually talk about the emergence possibly of a young player in Ross Barkley. The fact that he goes and seizes the moment in a game against Manchester City, scores a fantastic goal. The credibility of the Barclays Premier League in a game that, funnily enough, Evertonians might have wanted their team to lose because it didn't hand the title to their (laughs) rivals. There's so many things around that. And then to see a young player just embrace the whole footballing opportunity he's had and score that goal was uh, truly immense for me. Yeah, what a player he is. Match of the season, Ian. Man City nil, Chelsea won. Tactically, it's as good a side as I've seen upset up defensively. So for me, it's what Jose Mourinho does. And for the seeming shift in power, I've gone for Manchester United nil, Manchester City three. City ultimately win the title. United have had a season that they will want to forget in many different ways. And that was a really pivotal moment. So many managers have caught the eye. Name the best of that bunch, Ian. Pellegrini. Not even being mentioned in terms of, I think it's a lack of respect. I mean, he's got this form horse at the right time. He came strong and uh, their performances, they deserve to win. Tony Pulis for me, the whole type of management that he's done going in there under the pressure that he was under to produce what he's produced, to transform that football club. He just can't overlook that. I wonder if you're going to agree on anything before we finish these awards. Player of the season. I think we might agree on this. Suarez. I'm not sure there's any better player. I mean, his performance at Palace, you know, the draw three all. I can understand his emotion. He he puts everything into the game. He, He drags the side. Kicking and screaming. He's just magnificent to watch. And I can agree with him on that one. Toure has to have a mention, but he's surrounded by real quality as well throughout that team. Suarez has been the leading figure in his team. And our last one, hashtag you are football moment of the season. There have been plenty of goals. Well, I just watched the scenes at Selhurst Park and the fans. I just think it was an absolute joy to watch them stay up. You know, they've realised their dreams and I, I sense in the rugby manager that it may be a club that's going to become a force. We've seen the emergence this year of the way that people have been looked after by their own fans as they go back. So, John Joe Shelby going back to Liverpool. Aaron Ramsey got applauded by the Cardiff fans. So, just the way that football embraces its own eventually, you might give them a bit of stick at the time, but ultimately it comes down to that relationship between fans and players. Mm. And that's all important. Yeah, encouraging to see so many feel-good moments during the course of the past 10 months or so. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, we'd like to say a special thank you as well to the, the groundsman who rolled 161 miles of lines this season, the 13 million-plus fans through the turnstiles, and, of course, the millions of fans watching in 175 countries. Remember, you can keep telling us why you are football by tweeting us at Barclays Footy using the hashtag YouAreFootball or by posting your comments on the Barclays Football Facebook. Thank you.
Welcome back to the Barclays Premier League podcast review of the season. I'm here with Ian Dowie and Matt Jackson as we reflect on a stunning few months of top flight action. We're now going to look at some of the clubs who have performed beyond expectations and we'll start with Everton, whose 72-point tally is their best in a Barclays Premier League season and their highest since winning the title in 1987. Matt, when David Moyes left your former club, few, I'm sure, could have predicted with any degree of confidence that Roberto Martinez would have performed as well as he has. I think that's fair comment and you have to say it was probably a mixed appointment really from the point of view of supporters on the blue side of Merseyside. Some were really not sure. They were talking about things like his defensive record at Wigan and it just became irrelevant really. You know, He's a top coach, embraces all aspects of the game, works really hard on tactical awareness, has a very set idea of the way he wants his team to play but just inherited a really good team in quite a good place as a football club as well and has taken all those positives on. Well, I am delighted to say that Roberto Martinez joins us now. Hello, Roberto. Hi, Margaret. So, how do you reflect on your first season in charge? Well, it's been a, an exceptional experience. The truth is that since the day that we arrived at, at Everton, it's been an incredible uh, feeling of feeling in the right place. The support has been magnificent. From a football point of view, it's been uh, an exciting challenge slowly putting things across to a very successful group of players and over the 10 months we've seen a team developing evolving and seeing some outstanding young players fulfilling big roles and as a whole a team that is very much developing and I think that he hasn't fulfilled the potential so you can imagine that we're all very excited about next season. Absolutely 72 points a record for Everton in the Barclays Premier League era and fifth place means of course you'll be in the Europa League next season. How are you going to approach that competition and the rigours that it can put on any squad? Well I think that's something that we look forward to. We're all aware that if you choose Going through a season and having the demands of the Europa League is going to make it very, very difficult. In one way, we want to increase the squad. We want to embrace the fact of playing Thursday and Sunday and making sure that that doesn't bring a strain in our level of performances in the domestic competition. So it's very much an important period now of identifying the right characters that we can bring in. We need to sign between five and seven players, bearing in mind that we want to give opportunities to the younger players at the club and see if some of those are ready. Working in Europe should be uh, something that it helps the squad uh, in performing well with a bigger number this season rather than being a, a competition that it puts a real strain and a negative look into what we do in the league, the next campaign. Roberto, the success you've had this year, has it speeded up the process of planning for where you actually want to take the club ultimately? Because you've done so well, but you've almost created this pressure now that you have to deal with these Thursday nights. And I know the way that you and your staff will embrace that, but it does create a pressure on you. The expectation the fans then have of, okay, we finished fifth, that's great. So next year we're guaranteed to be in the Champions League. Has it made it a more complicated procedure for you? No, Matt, I think, obviously, you know the, the football club inside out. I always believe from day one that we need to work on that pressure and those expectations. I do feel that at Everton, and obviously you were part of the of the squad to win the, the last trophy in 95, we need to get back to those memories. And you can only achieve that when you're working under massive pressure and you need to embrace the expectations. I do think that the, the big advantage that we had is that we took over a very successful team. The team was really strong. The players in the football club were ready to perform. And now it's been a different way of playing or we added a few new faces. And I do feel that the, the dressing room is ready for that. It's making sure that those expectations are healthy expectations. And I, what I realise is that the fans 
even though they want to win and, and they expect big things, they're all very much aware and, and they are an intelligent crowd that if the team gives everything that they've got and we try our best in trying to get results in the right way, they'll be patient enough to see how the group is evolving. But it's very much something that I really embrace and I want at the football club. I want those expectations and I want to see people expecting us to travel to Old Trafford and the Emirates and Stamford Bridge and, and going for a win and expecting a good result. Roberto, I was just saying how, to Matt before we came in about how well you acquired in the off-season, in my opinion. Is, is that process that you're now going into of the acquisition of five or six bodies slightly changed because of the Europa League? In, in, and you've shown yourself very versatile and that's been pleasing for me to see the different styles in which you play. Will the signings change because of the Europa League campaign or is there a philosophy you just want to bring in a certain type to fit in with the system? I think it's a bit of both, Ian. I think, first of all, the recruitment is made a lot easier now because to attract a player to a team is a lot easier when you've got the offer of European football. Uh, I do think that you need to have a certain experience. If we're going to rotate and share the demands between the whole squad, obviously you cannot use a young or a team that is too young to face any competition. So uh, it's trying to bear in mind in the positions that we got now in the squad that we got a good balance between experience and talent. And that's just probably the hardest moment of our campaign. Uh, looking at next season is the next eight, nine weeks because the recruitment is going to be paramount in how we're going to approach those competitions. Roberto, we have a Twitter question for you. Um, Romelu Lukaku, Gareth Barry and Gerard Delefeu have all been on loan, of course, uh, this season and been brilliant for the club. At Brendan Gates 96 asks, is there any chance of you re-signing any of them for next season? Well, uh, obviously, there is something that we're going to try to put as much effort as we can. Clearly, I look at the, the situation in a different way. We're going to have loan players next season. If it's not Romelu or Gareth or, or Gerard Delofeu, will be others. And I think that's where the key lies when you bring a loan player at the club is to make sure that that's a successful relationship. You could look at many loan players throughout the league that they haven't been a success. What I'm really, really proud is that Romelu, Gareth and Gerard, they all develop as, as footballers. They all enjoyed great roles with us. I think everyone from a player's point of view can be very pleased. The parent club all delighted how everything is worked out. And as Evertonians, uh, we, we developed or created or took advantage of that talent to use it at our, at our benefit. So the whole loan relationship has been a real success. Going forward, you don't bring players on loan to hope that you're going to keep them in the long term. Uh, at the moment, we're going to explore what the situation is with the players. Uh, obviously, we would love to keep them. But it's not about looking as a negative because we had good loan players. We'll make sure that we bring other loan players. And I think having loan players in our situation is very much important to be able to cope with other teams that they've got probably bigger finances in the moment that they assemble the squads. I think as well, Roberto, it glosses over the quality you already have there. You look at your young players, and I'm sure you will tell us if you can, how good can Coleman, Stones, Barkley actually be? And, and how much a pivotal part will they be of your plans going forward? Well, huge. Huge, Matt, because I always felt that the young players bring you that unknown quantity. And as a club, uh, you need to create an environment where the young players can feel that they can make mistakes and they can experiment with things. And I think we created at Everton just the perfect, perfect football club for these youngsters to develop. I think John Stones and probably Roy Hodgson calling him up in that standby squad for the World Cup, I think it tells you that he is someone very, very special. As a centre-half, the style that he has is quite unique for someone so young to be able to cope with different challenges this season, how to defend against players like Wayne Rooney 
or the other extreme, Andy Carroll, and then have an incredible understanding of how to play from the back. The modern centre-avant is very much key for Everton and is very much key for English football. I think Ross Barkley, everyone knows that he's a unique talent. Uh, I'm looking at James McCarthy in the way that he's adapted to the philosophy of the club and how he fit into the, the outstanding midfielders that the club always had. And Seamus Coleman has a new role this season. I do think that it's another level for him to aspire next season. So it's, it's very much a very, very exciting unknown quantity that I do feel that we can reach with young players. Even looking underneath, we've got centre-half like Tyus Browning, a left-back like Luke Garbett, and an exceptional talent on Ryan Letson at only 16. Uh, all these young unknown quantity is exciting because we got a, a very firm platform of senior figures that they allow you to have young players with big roles. So we are all very much excited about the, that unknown quantity from the youngsters. One final question for you, Roberto, as part of our hashtag YouAreFootball campaign. Um, just wonder, when, when you were a young player, who was your footballing idol, the biggest influence on, on your career as well, perhaps? Well, the, the biggest influence in my career was without that, my dad, because obviously he's the one who introduced me with his way of living, with his passion of, of the game and, and football. But probably the player that I, will, I will always look up to was uh, a German playmaker called Ben Schuster. He did the indecent thing of playing for Real Madrid, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid, and, and he did it with, with incredible swagger and quality. So he was a little bit the player that I always admired to be, even though I... I fell in the in the process of reaching that. <laughs> he he was some player, Roberto. Many congratulations on a, a fantastic season, and uh, we wish you well for the next campaign. Thanks for talking to well us, done, Roberto. Thank you so much, gents. There we are, the Everton manager, Roberto Martinez. A, a stunning season. Of course, it's a great point that you make, Matt. Uh, as successful as you are, the expectation levels do rise, and and, and there's no time to to rest on your laurels, is there? There isn't, and Everton is a unique club in the fact that they sit up there alongside their great Merseyside rival and they are stymied a little bit with the investment levels that they mm. have but the levels of success that Evertonians demand are exactly the same as their Liverpudlian counterparts mm. and that doesn't half put a pressure on the football club the club is a fantastic club it does so many things so well and Roberto at the time he's gone into the club was the absolute ideal fit for them and the success that they've had comes because he's been happy to embrace all of those pressures that he talks about now another manager who exceeded expectations uh, this season is Mark Hughes who guided Stoke City to ninth their highest top flight finish since 1975 we're really pleased with with the season that we've had it's been quite remarkable really what we've been able to do in terms of the way we play now and uh, the points on the board that we've been able to achieve 50 points in any season is is a really good return we've raised expectation but i've said for a long time that i'm okay with that i think people want to be positive about people's chances and, t- and their own team's chances so uh, we've done really well this year can we beat it uh, who knows but we'll certainly try next year well, I think it's probably fair to say that some sections of the Stoke support weren't that thrilled when Mark Hughes was appointed as Tony Pudis's successor. But after a slow start, what a season they've had, Ian. It's a little bit back to almost like Mark's got his mojo back. Matt's point about Everton, I think, really applies here. He went into a very well-disciplined group of players who are outstanding professionals. I think he's been on record saying the group he inherited was brilliant and a leader in, in Ryan Shawcross. But Mark's changed slowly the way they play. They've got a good spine. Got a good goalkeeper as well in um, Asmir Begovic. I know you're a big fan of his, aren't you? Yeah, known personally, but also scored. So it's nice when they contribute at both ends of the goalkeepers. <laughs> Often overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of Hughes' former Manchester United teammates will also have enjoyed this 
season. Steve Bruce succeeded in keeping Hull in the top flight with a 16th place finish. And they'll also be in the Europa League next season, of course, having reached the FA Cup final. I mean, we've done fantastically well apart from the last month of the season. For me, it's coincided with since we've beat Sheffield United that day. And also in my mind was Swansea. We beat Swansea and got to 36 points. And by all means, we were safe. And 36 points was enough. But if somebody has said to me, Steve, you've been 15th, you're going to Europe and I'm playing an FA Cup final, then we have to be a bit realistic. We're a newly promoted club and they've done fantastically well. Yeah, in league terms, they've been treading on water a little recently for the reasons that he just uh, outlined. Do you think, though, come the weekend, they can do to Arsenal what Wigan did to Manchester City? I think it's an opportunity. I mean, I think it'll actually go quite a similar way to it. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays with three centre-backs, Steve Bruce, and flips it around a bit. I just wonder where they're going to get that firepower from. Ramsey and Ozil being back's a big thing. They give him, give him a real cutting edge. But, you know, he has had a fantastic season, Steve. I think he's got to acquire well. Very important if he can get Livermore over the line. One or two other areas he needs to improve in terms of his the pace in the side. But the two forwards he's got up front that won't be available this week are a big blow to him. The last of our clubs in the surprise package category are Southampton, who in Maurizio Pochettino's first full season in charge ended eighth. That wonderful English spine as well. Whether that English spine is still there next season is the big question, of course. Matt. Yeah, you become victims of your own success. The one thing that they've done brilliantly well is they made a big decision when Nigel Adkins got sacked and an unpopular decision in many quarters. But what they did was really identify what they wanted their football club to look like, what they wanted their team to look like on the pitch, the way they go and recruit those players, they maintain players coming through the academy. That is a really fantastically run football club. The issue now that they have is sell your players when you want to at top price and make sure you've got a manager in charge who will embrace all of those things within your club. Yeah, great season for the Saints. Last time they finished higher in the top flight was in 1990 when Matt Letizier inspired the South Coast club to seventh spot. Our reporter Lee Warner caught up with the Saints legend and asked him about his stellar career at the club, the importance of the fans and what made him fall in love with the game in the first place. I think what made me fall in love with football as a kid was the fact that you could play it with your mates. It was like a a bonding exercise. And I actually found out quite a young age I was quite good at it. I could control a ball. I could do pretty much what I wanted with it. And it was fun. It was great. And you just get to do this great thing, but you've got to do it with your mates, your your lads that you go to school with, your mates on the weekend in your your club side. Uh, And I just thought growing up, football was the best thing in the world. And footballers these days are often told that they need to be role models for young kids growing up in the game. Were there any role models for you, any footballers you wanted to emulate as a child? Uh, There were two that that stand out. Um, One was Glenn Hoddle, um, and Glenn was kind of the reason why uh, I was a Spurs supporter growing up. Uh, I thought the way he played football was absolutely superb. Just made it look really effortless, two feet, 40, 50 yard passes, shots from outside the box. Uh, and I loved the way he played, and he was the one really that kind of I wanted to, I wanted to be. That's that's who I was on the school playground when we were playing. Um, and there was one other one who, obviously, played for the opposition in terms of who I supported. But he was an Arsenal player. But um, Liam Brady, for me, growing up, had one of the sweetest left foots I've ever seen. And he again was another one who just made the game look simple. Um, so they were the two guys really that growing up were the ones that that I loved on the limited TV coverage that you had back then. You know, it's not quite like the the Barclays Premier League now where we get to see all the favourite players every single week. Um, The the coverage was limited, but so it was really special to see kind of Liam Brady and Glenn Hoddle in action. You built up such a strong rapport with the fans over the years. What do they mean to you now? What did they mean to you when you were playing? 
Uh, the Southampton fans have been absolutely brilliant to me throughout my whole career. You know, I can remember as a 17-year-old, I spent a lot of time on the substitutes bench. And at home, when I got up out of the dugout to warm up, the roar that used to go up and they were always singing for me, you know, wanting to, encouraging Chris Nichol to actually get me on the pitch because uh, they wanted to see me play. And, you know, that, that stuck with me a lot. And they were one of the reasons as well why uh, I stayed at Southampton for so long, to be honest with you. The fact they, they treated me so well, that was always a, a factor in my thinking when you know I had to decide whether to sign a new contract or not uh, so they played a massive role and, and still do you know when I come and watch a game at St Mary's now um, I've sat in the in the stands here watching games and they've started singing my name and it, it's, it's really really special and as a whole looking at the club Southampton FC what, what does it mean to you now? Southampton FC has been a massive part of my life you know it's you know from the age of, of 16 or, or probably from 15 when I was up in my trials right up until this very day uh, the, the club is is very dear to me um, obviously we've moved stadiums since since I played uh, I only had one season here at St Mary's but the fact that it's not just the club for me it's the community you know that the whole city of Southampton and they'll be in in my heart they'll be I'll be coming to watch games here right until my dying day you know at the moment where my work is involved I can't get here as often as I'd like but um, there'll come a day when when obviously that's not there and, and I'll get my season ticket and I'll be down here cheering the lads on for, for the rest of my days the man known as Le God on the South Coast. Matt Letizia speaking to Lee Warner. So we've covered the title race, those fighting relegation and the season's surprise packages. What about the clubs who would have been expected to do just a little bit better? Manchester United, Tottenham, Newcastle, West Ham, Swansea and Aston Villa might all have anticipated higher finishes. We'll start with the team who began the season under David Moyes and finished with Ryan Giggs. And just like Manchester United's motto, the club's most decorated player wants to look on the bright side of life. I'll look at it on the positive side that hopefully it'll help us in our league form and we have good cup runs, which we didn't this year, especially in the FA Cup. But we do well in the Cups and we get the, the amount of games up so everyone gets a chance because we'll need to keep a squad for you know when we get back into Europe uh, next year. We're, we're a club and we're a team that, that wants to win things and this year has been frustrating, it's, it's not happened. But it's like any defeat that we've had, we're, we always try and come back stronger and that's what we'll do. You know, we'll have a new manager and um, I'm sure new players are going to be coming in and, and improving the team. So, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. Seventh place finish, of course, for United. First time ever that they've been uh, out of the top four in the Barclays uh, Premier League and with their lowest points tally as well. In hindsight, Matt, was David Moyes simply never going to be the right fit? I don't think that's necessarily fair to say that. I think if David Moyes had his opportunity again, he would probably approach the job completely differently. I think he tried to impose his way, as managers should do, on the club. But when you go into a Manchester United, they are a successful top club for a reason and sometimes you have to change yourself before you change the football club. Obviously they can't afford to get it wrong again. Louis van Gaal, the red-hot favourite to take over. Would that be the right appointment right now? Well, funnily enough, you look at Manchester United, arguably the biggest club in the world, and you'd think, well, every single manager should be available to them. And that just isn't the case. To come up with a short list of three appropriate candidates is actually quite difficult for them. So Van Gaal is as good a fit as any. And Ian, I must ask you about Rio Ferdinand, who at the age oh. of 35 and after 12 years at the club has not been offered a new contract um, and is going to be on his way. Made more than 400 appearances, six Barclays Premier League 
titles. Is he going to be gutted or do you think he'll realise that this is perhaps the time for him to, to start afresh as well? Well, I think he'll be gutted in lots of ways. I think he's got a big love for the club. He loves, he loves being involved in it. I think where he was coming from is that given his experience, given you know the fact that he could probably be around next year without Vidic, could help the younger ones, my view is it, it's a huge area for them. You know, I mean, the small in Jones and Evans haven't looked to be up to the standard of getting the side back in the Champions League. They've defended really poorly this year. He'll know that you can't fight all the father time and he knows that you know, eventually maybe go, go and play somewhere different. But he's had a fantastic time there. I, I do think that in, in terms of David Moising, I think the communication would have been a key issue, I think. Talking about Van Howe is... It's going to be interesting to see how the Rooney-Van Persie-Van Howe mm. dynamic works. Mm. Yeah, some very exciting, interesting times ahead at Old Trafford. Tottenham are another club, of course, who switched manager mid-season. Andre Villas-Boas was replaced by Tim Sherwood in December. And the English coach guided Spurs to sixth to gain the Europa League spot once again. But Sherwood understands that Tottenham should be aiming higher and that results are all that count. It's a great learning curve for me, you know. I've tried to do as best I can, just um, preparing the team every week uh, to win games. Well, one thing I have learned, the football is all about winning. And if you win, it covers up a multitude of sins. It is totally about winning. It's an impulsive game. It's six months here at a massive club like Tottenham. It's been a privilege to manage this football club. And I've taken it with both hands. And, and you know what? I don't think I've done a, a bad job. He's got a very good um, winning percentage. He said a few weeks ago, Ian, that uh, he's been like a supply teacher in many ways <laughs> rather than a headmaster because mm -hmm. most people thought he was going to go in the summer. Has that hindered the job that he's done? Well, it can't be easy to, to manage under them circumstances. Constant speculation. I liked him, known personally. The trouble is the club is looking for top four. What's killed him has been the big games. In the end, they're the defining games. When he took the job, they were on the fringe of the Champions League spots. That's where they finished. He'll be back, I'm sure. So much expectation at the start of the season at Tottenham, Matt. They brought in so many players, but perhaps that was part of the problem. Do you think maybe by next season, the majority of those players will bed in and we'll see the real Tottenham? The point that you make is really interesting. So they sell Gareth Bale, a player coveted by every single top team in the world. So every single top team would have had Gareth Bale in its squad. If you look just in the Barclays Premier League at the Spurs squad and you look at the top four now of qualify for Champions League where they want to be, how many of those Spurs players would be coveted by those top four teams? I actually don't think it's that many to go and improve their squads you know, at all. And I think that gives the biggest indication of where Spurs find themselves at the moment. Yeah, well, four places below Spurs in 10th uh, were Newcastle. Now, that doesn't sound like the worst of finishes for the North East club, but at the turn of the year, they were in contention for a top six finish. Here's their manager, Alan Pardew. Well, I just think that um, we're, we're a club that in the first half of the season was very, very competitive and, and, and had form for Europe to a degree. Uh, the second half, we wasn't good enough. And this club needs to recruit well uh, in this period. We've think, got some good young players, but we need uh, offensively some quality to come in. And hopefully we can secure those and uh, give our fans some, something to really hang on to for the pre-season. Because um, you know, we need to show them that we're back to where we were in the first half of this season. Really has been a horrendous second half to the season for Newcastle. Only three victories at St James's Park in 2014. Is Alan Pardew the right man to carry on managing your former club? He's had a difficult scenario to deal with. I mean, the sale of Kabai, the message that Newcastle fans hate to see, and they, they can't stand big signings leaving their club. Tenth is just not good enough for Newcastle. They're, they're getting into the realms of being a, a steady Barclays Premier League club. They're be better than that. They must be out challenging. 
Time for them to show a little bit of ambition, perhaps. Let's end with Swansea, West Ham and Aston Villa, who finished 12th, 13th and 15th, respectively. All three managers, Gary Monk, Sam Allardyce and Paul Lambert, would have expected more from their sides as the season came to a close. We'll hear from them all now, beginning with Gary Monk after their final day win at Sunderland. It gives us a positive ending and a positive outlook for our fans, our travelling fans, but also from people from the outside. So finishing 12th, have Europa League that, we, that we've had this season. All in all, a very good achievement. We're established in the Premier League for the second season on the on the trot exactly where I was asked to get us to be in statistic terms year three gets better or should get better but that all depends on how much you can improve your squad and your players I think it's plain for everybody to see what Aston Villa needs there's no two ways about it it's a massive club as I said before and they lads are hurting obviously with the criticism that's, that's came out of the way but they've got to be proud of staying up because it's a hell of an achievement well, having taken over from Michael Laudrup in February, Gary Monk uh, has, of course, been appointed as Swansea's permanent manager for the next three years. But a lot of question marks with regards to Sam Allardyce and Paul Lambert. What do you think is going to happen to them, Matt? I think when question marks are raised about relationships between owners and managers, fans and managers, generally there's only one outcome and it's just a question of timing as to when they actually go. We talk about them should do better, but where do you want those clubs to end up now? So ultimately we're asking them to go and be top eight or European challenging clubs. That's a huge leap. And even Southampton, they've been magnificent. They finish eighth. They will argue that it's going to be tough for them to get any higher than that. Of the three we mentioned, and I'm a West Ham fan, so of West Ham, Swansea and Villa, Villa should be up there. I mean, that's that's a club that are capable. West Ham are on their way. Maybe the new ground will bring them that success. Um, I think I think Villa have had a really disappointing season. I, I also, talking about Sam Allardyce's one, I just don't get where West Ham fans are coming from. I don't know what they expect. I understand he needs to maybe evolve the playing style a bit, but he's done a fantastic job. If he does go, and I hope he doesn't, West Ham fans have to be careful what they wish for. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you've got until they've gone. We're almost at the end. Before we go, your predictions for next season, please, guys. Uh, first of all, the top four in order. Easy, that one. <laughs> Manchester City. Oh. Chelsea. Arsenal. Manchester United. So Liverpool dropping away for you then? I just think they'll find it really hard to recreate what they've done this year. I think people will find them out. The effect of the World Cup on their top players might be tough for them as well. I think it's going to be difficult. We've given you a bit of time Chelsea, here. Man United. Sorry, Chelsea. <laughs> got to change that. <laughs> Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool. I just think Man United have got a big... You know, it's difficult to bring in that sort of amount of players they need to bring in. Matt made the point of who are they chasing other clubs. There's not that many there. So for me, when you bring that many players in, I think it'll, it'll be another season of, of difficulty for Man United. As for relegation? Well, you automatically start with the teams coming up because we know the challenge the quality of being in the Barclays Premier League Steve Bruce will know he's got a tough job on a game they have to get recruitment right Aston Villa have to get their ownership situation right because all the word from within the club is that if we don't invest we're in real big trouble and then really everybody else looks at the quality of the league just being so important being in there so there will mm. be half the team start with we want to be here again next year mm. obviously Leicester and Burnley coming up and either Derby or Queen's Park mm. Rangers Ian I think Leicester well set I mean yeah they've got a manager who knows what they're doing I think there'll, there'll be some decent investment Look at what they've got. They've got a bit of pacing in the side. You know, I think that's very important. I think if Burnley with Danny Ings, if he can hold on to him, he gives them something and the defensive record's been very good, they'll have a chance. Of course, it'd be very difficult for Burnley and whoever comes out of the playoffs. And give us a player, one player to look out for in particular next season, Matt. Ross Barkley. I think the emergence of Everton and of him as an individual could be, he could be a real start. I love him anyway, but I think Mesut Ozil will be the star next year. He's, he's of a different level for me in terms of his quality and 
even at Norwich, he was, he was a different planet than anyone else on the pitch. When he gets paced back around him in the side with Walcott and maybe some signings, he'll take it by storm. Well, of course, Urza will look to have a, a big World Cup as well before the new season kicks off on Saturday the 16th of August. So um, one player from the Barclays Premier League who's going to take the Brazil World Cup by storm. You can't say Urza again. Yeah. Edin Hazard. Mm-hmm. I think Belgium might be dark horses. Sergio Aguero, he's been well rested. He's got back into the team. I think Argentina will be a force to be reckoned with. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. I hope your crystal balls are all working well, well, we'll find out in due course. But Ian and Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. And that is just about it uh, for this week's show. A huge thank you also to all our listeners who've supported us and helped contribute over the past 10 months. And just before we do go, have a crack at our final trivia teaser of the season. Goalkeepers Simon Mignolet, Brad Guzan and John Ruddy have played every minute of every Barclays Premier League game this season. But only one outfield player has achieved that feet. Can you name him? If you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we will reveal the answer on the site later in the week. We're going to take a break now for the summer. We will be back next season, so join us again on Tuesday, August the 12th, when we'll be previewing the 2014-15 campaign. Can't wait. Until then, though, from Ian Dowie, Matt Jackson and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.